1: to criminology episode 143 i'm mike ferguson
0: and this is mike morpher Morph, what is going on with you not much i'm just uh sitting back uh enjoying life how about you yeah
1: yeah same trying to uh enjoy it the best i can hoping that we don't get uh too much snow up here something i know you don't have to worry (laughs) much about nowadays
0: yeah i've tried to cut back on my uh crap talking
1: (laughs) (laughs) about the the, weather,
0: about the weather for my friends that live up where it's cold. So I'm not going to say anything.
1: (laughs) I'm sure we all appreciate that. We continue to see some great Patreon support. Let's give some shout outs. Susan Koo jumped out to our highest level. We had Gabrielle Vance, Diana Perez, Chris Grassel, Playman, and KP. So that's a lot of great new support. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks to all of you for that support. It goes a long way to helping us get this show out. And for anyone else that would like to support criminology, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash criminology and signing up. All right, Morph,
1: in this episode, we are talking about Samuel Little, who in recent years was confirmed to be America's most prolific serial killer. Now, I know that phrase gets thrown around a lot but the FBI has verified dozens of murders he committed and they believe he is responsible for even more. Little himself claims to have taken the lives of almost a hundred people. In one interview, he claimed to remember around 88 victims, but articles frequently cite 93 confessions. Investigators to date have publicly verified 50 of his confessions. And you know, a lot of people, when they hear the news that Little had confessed to almost a hundred murders, I think they believed that he was giving false information for notoriety, maybe because he was bored, maybe because he wanted to get his 15 minutes of fame. I, I know I thought that way myself when I first started hearing the news as it came out about Little, because there's been some precedent. There. Previous killers have also claimed, you know, extremely high body counts, but the evidence never materialized or they were proven to be lying. You know, Israel Keys, especially Henry Lee Lucas. So I, I think we're used to hearing that. It's definitely not unheard of. But Samuel Little's claims seem to be more true than false, which is extremely scary. He also used. The aliases Samuel McDowell, Samuel McDaniel, Willie Lewis, and Willie May Clifton.
0: Samuel Little was born in Reynolds, Georgia on June 7, 1940. He has said that his mother was a sex worker, but Little is truly known about her. He claimed that she was a teen mother and that she abandoned him by the side of the road as an infant. Apparently, he was brought back to other members of his family. And shortly after, the family moved to Lorraine, Ohio. There, Little was raised by his grandmother. Not much is known about his childhood, though he did already show signs of discipline problems and lack of achievement by the time he was in junior high.
1: Little's documented criminal career began when he was only 16 years old. After stealing a bike in Omaha, Nebraska, he was sent to the Boys Industrial School in Lancaster, Ohio. At the age of 21, he served three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store in Lorain, Ohio. He was released at the age of 24. And in his late 20s, he moved to Florida. It was around that time that he started traveling the country, but he also started getting into trouble more with authorities while he was in Florida. He supposedly held various odd jobs, worked at a cemetery. He was a day laborer and once was even an ambulance attendant.
0: The amount of crimes Little racked up in his criminal record is staggering. Little's been arrested for burglary, possession of marijuana, theft, grand theft, breaking and entering, DUI, resisting arrest, robbery, assault and battery, false imprisonment, assault with the intent to rob, unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, shoplifting, assault on a police officer, solicitation of prostitution, sodomy. An assault with a firearm, or assault with great bodily injury. Little had all these crimes under his belt before his first verified murder. He had over 25 arrests in 11 states by the age of 35. What's perhaps most frightening is that for every crime that I just mentioned, Little served a combined 10 years behind bars. During these various prison stints, Little learned a box, and along the way he would tell people he was an up-and-coming prize fighter. But history would show that the only time Samuel Little seems to have used his boxing skills was when he was attacking an unsuspecting victim.
1: There were obviously warning signs that Little was a dangerous criminal, and along the way, there were plenty of chances to stop him from becoming the most prolific serial killer in the United States. Little chose victims who he thought wouldn't be immediately missed or looked for with much effort. He chose sex workers, women addicted to drugs, single mothers with no family support, runaways, and women who were new in town. His numerous aliases and law enforcement's lack of communication with outside departments enabled him to lay low. Even when investigators in all of these murders were searching for the killer, he used his bare hands to strangle his victims to death and They often were not found until they were heavily decomposed, leaving investigators unlikely to find a cause of death or any type of physical evidence to link the deaths together or to link them to a specific suspect.
0: It's plain to see that when Little wasn't behind bars, he was committing crimes. Whether it was smaller crimes like burglary, shoplifting, or driving while intoxicated, or committing more serious crimes like rape and murder. Samuel Little never stopped, but his most serious crimes remain unlinked and unconnected to him for decades. It wasn't until 2012 that Little was finally connected to any murders. The LAPD was using grant money to work on unsolved cold case murders to see if new crime-fighting science and DNA might help them solve some of the many cold cases on their shelves. It turns out luck was on their side.
1: DNA profiles were developed from offenders in three long unsolved murder cases and were entered into CODIS. The cases were those of Carol Eileen Alford, who was found dead in an alley on July 13, 1987. Audrey Nelson was found strangled in a dumpster on August 14, 1989. And Guadalupe Apodaca, who was killed less than a month later and found September 3rd in an abandoned commercial garage. In all three cases, the women had been raped, beaten, and then strangled. The CODIS system scoured countless profiles and compared them to the profiles in the Alford, Nelson, and Apodaca cases, and they got a hit. The DNA profile from a single killer matched the DNA in all three cases. And that DNA profile pointed back to Samuel Little, Little's DNA profile was in the system following the October, 1984 attack on a woman named Tanya Jackson. We'll talk about her case shortly, but following the attack on her, Little was convicted of a sexual assault against her and required to give blood, which remained on file. Now this was the mid eighties before felons in California were required to give DNA and DNA really was in its infancy at this point, but those found guilty of sex offenses were required to give blood samples, which remained on file. Later, DNA was extracted from those samples and uploaded to CODIS, including Samuel Little's.
0: So LAPD investigators had the name of the killer of these three women, Samuel Little, but they had a problem. They didn't know where Little was. He was a gypsy or drifter of sorts and was always on the move. Little was finally tracked down in Kentucky. Police found that he had been having Social Security payments deposited to a prepaid Walmart card and it had been last used in Kentucky, so they focused their efforts there with the help of Kentucky authorities. Little was located at Wayside Christian Mission, a homeless shelter in Louisville, and extradited to Los Angeles to face charges for an outstanding California drug charge. Little was sent to Los Angeles County where he sat in jail. While he was in jail, Investigators were building a solid case against him for the murders of the three women. Once officials felt they had enough of a case against Little to convict him, he was charged with the three murders and went to trial. On September 25, 2014, Little was found guilty of the murders of Apodaca, Alford, and Nelson. He was sentenced to life in prison with no parole. Even on the day of that guilty verdict, Little maintained his innocence. That could have been where the story of Samuel Little ended but he had other ideas.
1: In 2018, almost four years after going to prison for the three murders, Little himself sought out officials and began confessing to crimes he hadn't been charged with or really even connected to. He asked investigators for art supplies so that he could draw and paint portraits of his victims to help identify them, He gave these confessions in return for a relocation. Most of these crimes that Little took credit for occurred between 1980 and 1999. At first, investigators were skeptical of his claims. But throughout the fall of 2018, Little confessed to many more murders. In fact, he claimed to have killed more than 90 people across a dozen states. Investigators began checking out Little's claims and to their horror, they verified he was telling the truth. On November 27, 2018, the FBI announced that their Violent Criminal Apprehension Program or VICAP team confirmed that 34 of Little's 90 murder confessions were valid. They also confirmed that they were continuing to try and match the rest of his confessions to murders and suspicious deaths. And apparently, Morph Little was a pretty decent artist. He was able to sketch out his victims, but he had trouble remembering many details associated with the murders.
0: Little said that in addition to wanting to relocate to another prison, he felt sorry for the pain he caused his victims. But at the same time, that thinking about them was the only thing that brought him pleasure. He called his victims his babies, and he said he loved them. It was also clear to those who interviewed him about his crimes that reliving them made him feel alive. He became animated and talkative when describing things like how to break a neck bone or boxing.
1: Little claimed that his first victim was 33-year-old Mary Brosley, Mary disappeared while traveling by bus from Palmer, Massachusetts to Boston on June 12th, 1970. Apparently, Mary left on her own and traveled to the Miami Beach area of Florida at a bar on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1970. She had the misfortune to meet Samuel Little. Her body was found in the woods in Miami Dade County. On January 24th, 1971, medical examiners couldn't find an exact cause of death due to the state of decomposition, but the alcohol level in her brain was possibly high enough to be fatal.
0: Investigators knew that foul play was involved in Mary's death though, because both of her legs were in one hole of her underwear and she was buried in a shallow grave. Even if she had died of alcohol poisoning, she couldn't have buried herself. Little told investigators that Mary left her family due to alcohol issues, which her sister would confirm 47 years after her murder. He also remembered that Mary had a limp. This was due to a hip surgery she had undergone, which left her with screws and plates that later helped identify her. He was watching Mary when she touched her neck, which Little took as a quote, sign from God. He also correctly recalled her sundress and necklace, leaving authorities confident, that Mary Brosley was indeed Samuel Little's victim. His first, we'll have to take his word.
1: Little admitted to investigators that in the early 1970s, he met Karen O'Donohue outside a facility for the mentally ill in Miami. Like Mary Brosley, O'Donohue went missing from Massachusetts. She vanished in 1969 and has never been found. But Little knew details about her, such as her having menstrual irregularities and that she had been a nurse in the air force before being discharged for substance abuse issues. He described her as slow and depressed. One of little sketches looks very much like a photograph of Karen O'Donohue. Since Karen disappeared from the same area of Massachusetts that Mary Brosley did and also had substance abuse issues, This left some investigators to wonder if the pair traveled to Miami together. Now, they don't know the answer to that, but authorities are confident that Little is telling the truth about killing both women.
0: Martha Cunningham was a 34-year-old woman from the Knoxville, Tennessee area who Little claimed he actually liked. She vanished on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1974, while on her way to a church service. Somehow, she wound up with Samuel Little. He recalled that Martha, as he remembered her, had seizures, and authorities were able to confirm with her sister, as well as the medical examiner's report, that she was epileptic and took seizure medication. Little also remembered that she had a child, but he said she had a nine-year-old son. Martha actually had a teenage daughter. Her family insists she was not in any way a sex worker, but Little claimed that she actually was.
1: Martha's bruised body was found in January 1975, nude below the waist. Some personal belongings, like her purse and jewelry, weren't with her. But despite this, authorities ruled the death as being from natural causes just the very next day. Little says that when he tried to kiss Martha, she rejected the advance and they began to struggle. He pulled down her underwear while he had her pinned, and after he started strangling her, she had a seizure and died. Martha's sister received a call from an unknown male a few days before her body was found, and the caller told her where her sister's body could be found. It's unknown whether or not the caller was little, but he was still in town when Martha's body was discovered in some brush on the side of the road.
0: On September 11th, 1976, Pamela Smith frantically pounded on someone's door in Sunset Hills, Missouri. She was pleading for help. Her hands were tied behind her back. She was nude from the waist down. Pamela told authorities that in St. Louis, Samuel Little had attacked her from behind and strangled her with an electrical cord, forced her into his car, and beat her until she lost consciousness. He then drove her to Sunset Hills, where he sexually assaulted her. He had bitten and sodomized her. The police found Little in his car right where Pamela said she had escaped. Her clothes and jewelry were still in the vehicle, but Little denied raping her, saying that he had only hit her. Little was charged and convicted of assault with intent to rape, but he was only sentenced to three months in a St. Louis County, Missouri jail. After what was basically less than a slap on the wrist, Little was free to harm many more women.
1: And more if we talked about it right up front, right? There would be a number of chances to stop Samuel Little and this is something that you know I see in so many different cases when you're talking the 70s even into the 80s it seems as though these crimes against women which you look at and you say okay these are very violent sexual crimes the punishment just wasn't there it it, it boggles my mind
0: it's a good thing that over the years they finally took these kinds of crimes seriously enough to adjust the punishments for them and, and make people face harsh consequences for doing that kind of stuff. (laughs)
1: Because they should, these are very violent, vicious crimes. And, you know, you look back and you say, okay, do three months in County jail. Well, where's the deterrent there for a person like Samuel little or any of these individuals To not then get out and go on to commit additional sexual type violent crimes. It's just not there. On June 25th, 1977, 17-year-old Dorothy Gibson was found murdered in downtown Miami along some railroad tracks. Gibson was a runaway and had agreed to have sex with Little. But instead of paying her for her services, he strangled her outside of a hotel. He left her body in some bushes behind the hotel. A man named Jerry Frank Townsend was tried and convicted for her murder, as well as the murder of a 44-year-old woman named Wanda Verga, whose body was found in the same area in 1979. Townsend had an IQ of 58 and had falsely confessed to six different murders, including Dorothy's and Wanda's. DNA eventually ended up clearing him of the crimes and he was released in 2001 after serving 22 years. Yet another serial killer, Eddie Lee Mosley, was responsible for two of the murders Townsend confessed to, but Dorothy Gibson is believed to be a victim of Samuel Little. to get almost anything delivered. Must be 21 and over to order alcohol, drink responsibly, alcohol available only in select markets.
0: In January 1978, the body of 34-year-old Julia Critchfield was found in Saucier, Mississippi. She had been thrown off a cliff and was at the bottom of a ditch. The mother of four had been strangled by Little's hands. It's believed that Julia either left with or got a ride with Little after leaving a bar called Chris's Lounge. Little told authorities a few details that he could only know if he was telling the truth about killing her, and admitted to throwing her body from the cliff. In September
1: 1978, 19-year-old Evelyn Weston's body was discovered near Fort Jackson, South Carolina, unlike most of Little's victims. Evelyn had been shot in the head. Now, his confession doesn't line up perfectly, but he remembers a military base nearby He has the correct time frame and some other details that police believe only her killer could have known. Weston was also very similar to Little's known victim type. She was young, black, and had somewhat of a troubled life. Little directly confessed to her murder, but it's unknown why he used a gun to kill her. And I think this is important morph because it opens up the possibilities that there are a number of additional murders committed by little with a different MO, a gunshot wound rather than strangulation, asphyxiation that he never even confessed to for whatever reason. Now, I think a lot of people would say if he's going to confess to 90 or a hundred, why would he leave some out? But to me, that's it's part of the mystery of Samuel Little.
0: Yeah, and I think we talked about it a little bit too that he couldn't remember all the details. So you have to wonder if killing this many people, if he just forgot some of them and and couldn't provide any more information or remember that he even killed certain people. Man, I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast a week ago. I don't
1: know how in the world. Somebody can remember exact details from something that they did, let's say, what, almost 40 years ago? 30 plus years ago? You have to wonder about that.
0: In 1979, Brenda Alexander was found nude in Phoenix City, Alabama. She was wearing only a watch. Brenda was just 23 years old on August 25th when Little met her at the Tap Room, a dance club in Columbus, Georgia. The next day, Alexander's nude body was discovered on a dirt road off 7th Street, not far from the tab room. She had been strangled and raped. Authorities do not believe that Brenda was involved in any sex work. She was just a girl out for a night of fun. On May
1: 15, 1981, 23-year-old Linda Sue Boards was found dead on a farm in Warren County, Kentucky. Linda had been raped and strangled. She was last seen leaving the Peacemakers Club on 3rd Street in Bowling Green, Kentucky. She was found a few days later on the farm property. She was wearing a brown suede coat, brown lace-up shoes, a light green-knit blouse and bra. In September 2018, it was discovered through the use of a database that Linda's murder matched Samuel Little's M.O. Little was indicted months later for Linda's murder by a Warren County Jury, but the case never went to trial.
0: In September 1981, 30 year old Patricia Parker was found in Dade County, Georgia. For 39 years, her remains were unidentified, and her family had no idea what happened to her. Her son even thought he had possibly been abandoned by her. A facial reconstruction released by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation of a Jane Doe led to Parker's family reaching out to authorities. She was positively identified, and soon after, investigators were able to match up one of Little's stories to her murder. Parker had the misfortune to meet Little at a club in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he left her body in Georgia.
1: On October 12, 1981, Anna Lee Stewart was found in a field in Grove City, Ohio. She had been fatally strangled. Anna was a mother of three young sons from Cincinnati. She disappeared on October sixth after getting out of a taxi, outside of General Hospital. She had mentioned to the driver that she was going to visit her sister in the hospital. News reports list Anna as being either 32 or 33 years old at the time. Little admitted that he killed her in Cincinnati and put her body in the car while it was raining. He later drove to Grove City where he dumped her body. In June 2019, Little was indicted in Hamilton County, Ohio,
0: For Anna's murder. 18 year old Fredonia Smith was last seen in Macon, Georgia on July 10, 1982, after she went out for some ice cream. Her body was discovered August 19th of that year in an advanced state of decomposition. Due to the extreme heat, her body was already just skeletal remains. The Georgia Bureau of Investigations identified Fredonia using x rays from local hospitals. Fredonia's family, including her brother Eddie, had blamed her recent ex boyfriend for her murder. Little admitted that after fighting with Fredonia, he strangled her and drug her body to the bushes where she was eventually found.
1: On August 16th, 1982, 20-year-old Rosie Hill was found dead in Marion County, Florida. She was found in some woods near a pig pen and had been strangled or suffocated. Rosie became pregnant while she was still in high school and later gave birth to a daughter. She moved to Florida To be with her grandparents as a young single mother. Her daughter was just two years old when Rosie was killed. Rosie's mother didn't deny that Rosie potentially could have been engaged in sex work, as she had warned her she was involved in something she couldn't escape unless she went home. But she never specified exactly what that was. Her mother also had doubts about the identification of her daughter because. Her body was in such a heavy state of decomposition when found that her mom always hoped that she'd come home. Little later described Rosie as a fighter, but he gave a morbid quote saying, I won the fight. Little was questioned for her death at the time, but he denied that he knew Rosie and really there was no evidence to hold him or to charge him and he slipped away.
0: On September 12, 1982, 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount was found dead in a field. She was nude and her body was bruised. This was in Alachua County, Florida. She had been beaten, raped, and strangled to death. Patricia reportedly had an IQ of 40 and had once been a resident of a state facility for the developmentally disabled called Sunland Training Center. Patricia was last seen at a bar called May's Lounge. The owner of the bar told investigators Patricia had been dancing with a light-skinned black man and soon left with him. The owner later identified that man, who was going by Samuel McDowell. They had no idea at the time that McDowell was actually Samuel Little. He was arrested and actually went to trial as Samuel McDowell for the murder of Patricia Mount. The jury for this trial deliberated for less than 30 minutes, after which Samuel Little, a.k.a. McDowell, was a free man. He left the area in search of more victims.
1: Melinda Laprie was a 22-year-old runaway who ended up in Pascagoula, Mississippi, with a boyfriend who acted as her pimp. She was found dead in October 1982 in a severe state of decomposition, leaving no physical evidence to help solve her murder. Other sex workers in the area told authorities that Laprie had left in a station wagon, And they gave them a description of the man driving it. Six weeks later, Samuel Little was involved in a traffic stop and police realized that he matched the description of the man driving the station wagon. And they included his photo in a lineup shown to witnesses. They chose Little as the driver, but there wasn't enough physical evidence to move forward with a
0: case against Little. During the investigation into Lepree's murder, two sex workers were revealed to authorities that they had also been attacked by Little. Hilda Nelson and Lila McLean were both attacked, but only Hilda reported her assault to the police. Little had offered McLean $50 for a date, and once she was in his car, he stunned her with a sucker punch. She fought with him and escaped his car semi-nude and ran across multiple lanes of traffic. McLean didn't go to police because she felt that no one would care about a crime against a black sex worker. Hilda
1: Nelson had been attacked by Little in her apartment, but was saved when her best friend knocked on her door. Due to the rough area and how Little the women felt cared for by law enforcement, her friend felt bound to check on Nelson. She went around to the window of the apartment and yelled for her, which scared Little off. Little was held for six months while they tried to build a case But while doing so, they linked him to Patricia Ann Mount's murder in Florida. He was extradited to face charges there, which we now know left him a free man. Nelson and McLean were able to testify for the prosecution three decades later during Little's 2014 trial in Los Angeles.
0: In September 1983, in Houma, Louisiana, 55-year-old Dorothy Richards was found murdered. Dorothy was from the town of Gray and is possibly Little's oldest victim. She had been raped and strangled. Little was linked to her murder through details of his confession and the time frame that matched up. Little also lived close to Dorothy at the time of her murder. In
1: May 1984, a 33-year-old woman named Willie Mae Bivens was found murdered in Tallahassee, Florida. She was discovered raped, beaten, and strangled in a vacant wooded lot. The last time that Willie May was seen alive was on May 12th. As she was getting into a 70s style car driven by a man, Samuel Little confessed to her murder and her case was reopened in early 2020. In 1985, a homeless man named Eddie Harris was convicted in Willie May's case on a lesser charge of manslaughter on what was described more as relatively weak evidence. He was sentenced to four years in prison, but was released for time served. And I think this is the other thing that really scares me. As you're going through this case, you can see where a number of individuals were falsely convicted of some of Little's known murders, and it's not just scary in this case. I think it happens So often or has happened so often throughout the years, you know, these wrongful convictions, whether, you know, a person falsely confessed to the murders, or, you know, it sounds like in this case, they found a homeless man and they, they wanted to put somebody away and they did that. That to me is very scary.
0: Since they didn't have the DNA back then, they would make a quick rush to judgment Find someone guilty, and that was it. There was no clearing them if they were indeed innocent.
1: Yeah, scary proposition, man. To think that a lot of people served time or a lot of people died in prison. Some people, you know, were executed and they never committed the murder for which they were convicted.
0: I think that's the importance of DNA. We talk about all the bad guys that are caught using DNA but we sometimes forget about all the innocent people that are released when DNA doesn't wind up matching crimes they were, they were convicted for. On July 3rd, 1984, a Jane Doe was discovered in Cleveland. For eight years, she remained unidentified. She was found decomposing at the bottom of an outdoor set of stairs. Her sweater and shirt were pushed up to her shoulders, and she was naked from the waist down except for one sandal. The authorities accidentally entered her fingerprints into the Cleveland database rather than the national database. Because of this error, there were no answers for years as to who this woman was until someone realized what had happened and used the proper database. She was finally identified as Mary Joe Payton. Mary Jo had been known to engage in sex work and had been arrested for it multiple times. Samuel Little met Mary Jo in a Cleveland bar sometime between May and July drove her to an abandoned factory, and according to him, they had sex. He then strangled her to death and then threw her from the top of the stairs. In
1: 1984, Francis Campbell met Little at a bar in Savannah, Georgia. They left together, and she was never seen again. Her sister, who was pregnant at the time of Frances' disappearance, and named her daughter to honor her sister remembers that the last time they dropped Francis off at home she was planning on redevoting her life to God even though she hadn't been to church in quite some time she was missing for a year before being found on a pile of trash at a construction site she had been sexually assaulted and strangled in early 2020 a Savannah jury indicted little for Francis's murder
0: Lori Barris is a victim of Samuel Little, but she survived. On September 27, 1984, when she was 22 years old, she was a sex worker in San Diego. Samuel Little put her in a headlock and into the backseat of his car. He used her pantyhose to tie her wrist behind her back as he pushed her face into the backseat. Fighting back made him hurt her more. She decided to give in and play dead. He strangled her, and she has no memory of the rest of the attack. He later dropped her body off, thinking she was dead next to a dumpster. She woke up around five hours later and walked for miles to a payphone and contacted a friend. She still lives today with survivor's guilt.
1: Just one month after the attack on Lori Barrows, on October 25th, 1984, Little was caught by authorities. Around 5 a.m., he was literally in the act of attacking a woman. His car parked in a vacant lot, matched the description of the car Barrows had been shoved into and attacked in. The police shined their headlights onto his car and Little's head popped into view as he jumped out of the car. He was flustered, fumbling with his zipper, and he was trying to convince the officers that he and his wife had been having sex and everything was fine. Officers spotted that Little had scratches on his throat and what appeared to be a spot of blood on his shirt. They immediately arrested Little and checked his back seat. That's where they found Tanya Jackson, who we mentioned earlier. She appeared to be dead until all of a sudden she started gasping for breath. She had been beaten so severely that she couldn't see. But when she realized that the police were there, She was able to tell them that Little had raped her. For this attack, Little was charged with rape as well as assault with great bodily injury. Having been connected to both the Jackson and Barrows cases, Little was tried for both attacks together with false imprisonment added for the attack on Barrows. Little was sentenced to four years in prison and served only two and a half years before being paroled. But it was due to this arrest that Little's blood was collected and saved. And later, a DNA profile from that blood would be entered into CODIS. But again, Morph, four years for two separate attacks, and he's only going to serve two and a half of them. It just It's shocking to me that by 1987, Little was a free man. He relocated to Los Angeles, California, where he continued to assault and murder innocent women.
0: On July 13th, 1987, Carol Eileen Elford paid for that freedom with her life. She was murdered by Little in Los Angeles. Carol was 41 years old. Little beat and strangled her to death, leaving her body in an alley. His DNA was left on her bra and under her fingernails. Less than two months later, on September 3rd, Little killed Guadalupe Apodaca in Los Angeles she was also beaten and strangled to death. This time, Little left his semen and thus his DNA on her shirt and again under her fingernails.
1: After the murder of Apodaca, there's a lull of about two years between confirmed crimes of Samuel Little. I think many people more ask the question, how could a man like this, who ostensibly every minute, it seems that he's not in jail or prison, is out committing some type of sexual assault, murder, some type of crime against women, go two years without doing it. There's no way to know, but you have to find that as
0: odd. Yeah, I wonder if he was traveling the country during that time and just other crimes in other areas weren't attributed to him which makes me wonder, aren't these guys, when they get out of prison, supposed to report to parole officers or probation officers to keep tabs on where they are? How's this guy wandering around the country after all these crimes?
1: And and to me, this goes back to the seventies and eighties. I mean, case after case of really bad individuals committing, you know, crime after crime after crime. Yeah. Sometimes they're caught. They're they're put in jail, they're put in prison, but the sentences were so light that, you know, they're back on the street in no time. But I think your point is a very valid one. I mean, were they not on parole? Were they not supposed to check in with someone? And obviously they couldn't have if they had skipped the state and maybe it was, you know, lack of resources or, Hey, we don't know where this guy is. What else can we do? And I think one victim that Samuel Little has claimed to murder kind of backs up what we were just talking about. This is a victim who was known only as Jane Doe. They never established her identity. She was killed sometime between 1980 and 1999 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, that's a long stretch of time, but Samuel Little drew sketches of her and it's clear that Jane Doe wore a wig. He didn't have a pencil dark enough to depict her actual skin color, so the FBI released two versions of her sketch, one that has been digitally altered to show her with darker skin. Little told investigators that Jane Doe lived in Over the Rhine, a neighborhood in Cincinnati, with a female roommate. He also remembered that her apartment Open to a second floor stairway, Little left Jane Doe's body near a cool cigarette billboard in Ohio.
0: On August 14, 1989, Samuel Little killed Audrey Nelson Everett. She fought for her life when Little beat and strangled her, and underneath her fingernails was his DNA. She had moved to LA from New York almost a decade earlier because the climate would improve her asthma symptoms. Audrey was a cosmetologist and had a young daughter.
1: In August, 1991, 32-year-old Rose Evans was found under a pile of tires in a vacant lot in Cleveland, Ohio. She had accepted a ride from Little and he strangled her to death in the vacant lot. Finally, in May, 2019, prosecutors in Cuyahoga County, Ohio indicted Little with six counts of kidnapping and four counts of aggravated murder. In Rose's case, as well as the 1991 murder of Mary
0: Jo Payton. On September 30th, 1991, Roberta Tanderich was found in a wooded area in an Akron, Ohio park. She had been missing for almost a month. Roberta, who struggled with substance abuse, would leave her children with their grandparents for weeks at a time. So at first, her family wasn't concerned when she went missing. What finally made the family worry was when they realized she hadn't taken her epilepsy medication with her wherever she was. Her 18-year-old daughter, Tanya, tried to report her missing, but felt that authorities didn't take her seriously. Then Roberta's body was found. She was badly decomposed, and no cause of death could be determined. Her daughter identified the socks she was wearing, and authorities used dental records to positively identify her as Roberta Tanderich. When her daughter, Tanya, was contacted by the FBI in 2019, she saw a sketch that little had done, and she exclaimed out loud that she recognized her mother. Authorities take this along with the details of little's confession as enough evidence that he was her killer. And more, if I I mentioned it earlier,
1: you know, it's been said that this guy could draw. He had some artistic ability. And I think he obviously had to have had some for someone like Tanya to recognize a sketch as being her mother, but also, What I find very interesting is that he's doing all of this from memory and from a memory of something that happened many years ago. So, you know, these details, not all the details of the crimes, but the details of the victims obviously stayed with
0: him. It's as if he might not remember all the dates and names and times and stuff like that, but he remembers their, their faces. And I just wonder how
1: much of that is because he replayed these events over and over in his mind. We know that serial killers do this, right? They replay their sexual assaults, they replay their murders, and then they get another sense of sexual gratification. Sometimes I'm thinking he had to have done something like that over the years to keep the details of these women in his mind. On New Year's Day, 1994, 23-year-old Denise Doreen Christie Brothers was reported missing out of Odessa, Texas. She had been last seen in a motel parking lot. Her son, Damien, remembers that the last time he saw her, she sent him and his little brother for cigarettes and bread. When they returned, The door of her motel room was locked and there was no answer. In February, her body was discovered in some tall grass along a fence near an abandoned building. Denise had been strangled to death. Little admitted that he picked Denise up close to her motel, bought heroin and crack for her and her pimp, and when the pimp left them alone, he killed her.
0: This is where Little gave great detail to investigators, and he seemed to be excited to relive the incident. He said that in an alley, as Denise prepared to give him moral sex, he began to strangle her. He threw her into the backseat of his car and continued to strangle her while he masturbated. He described in one particularly uncomfortable interview to the female interviewing him that he liked his attacks to last. They were like sexual encounters to him instead of the violent attacks that they actually were. He would strangle women until they were unconscious, but allow them to breathe again. He did this to Denise multiple times. Thanks to Detective Sergeant Snow Robertson, who insisted that Denise's investigation be handled properly, her crime scene was properly documented and her case was entered in the VICAP, which is voluntary and must be done by local police. In November 2018, Little pleaded guilty to Brother's murder and received a life sentence. In
1: 1994, Jolanda Jones was found dead in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Her death was attributed to drugs and ruled as an overdose. However, Samuel Little admits that he killed her and dumped her body where it was found. The details he revealed have not been made public, but Jolanda is apparently among the victims he drew portraits of. An officer who had been at the crime scene said that Little's recollection of the area was like he was standing right there while he described it. Authorities reopened her case, and it remains open.
0: 40-year-old Daisy McGuire is unique among Little's many victims. She's one of the few victims that Little didn't strangle, something that gave him so much pleasure. On February 6, 1996, in Houma, Louisiana, Daisy McGuire was found dead from drowning. On the surface, it may not sound like one of Little's murders, but he was able to describe her last meal, which matched her stomach contents red beans, and rice. He also knew that Daisy always carried a Bible. Just like Martha Cunningham, Little described genuinely liking Daisy McGuire, delaying a trip to another state to spend more time with her. Her brother Bobby believes Daisy was introduced to Little through a family friend and says that he met Little once, and now when he sees his picture, he can remember him walking through the yard with his sister. Sadly, Little's name did come up during the investigation, but he was gone before authorities could follow up. And the case went cold for over 20 years. In
1: 1996, 24-year-old Melissa Thomas was found in a graveyard in Opelousas, Louisiana. She left home on January 31st of that year to go buy cigarettes at a gas station across the street from the cemetery. Melissa was still fully dressed and scratch marks on her neck helped prove she had been strangled. Little admitted to her murder in 2018 when he asked investigators if they had a cold case murder, where a woman was found in a cemetery in a floral dress. Little described his encounter with Melissa, stating that when he was touching her neck, she angered him by asking him if he was a serial killer.
0: In early January 1997, 36-year-old Priscilla Baxter Jones was found in the Mississippi River. She went missing weeks earlier on Christmas Eve. She had been raped, stabbed, and strangled. Her then-teenage son remembers meeting Samuel Little, visiting him with his mother at his adoptive home in 1995. One sketch that Little drew shocked her son, due to the striking resemblance to his mother. She had been engaged in sex work at the time of her disappearance, but Samuel Little has never claimed to have stabbed any of his victims, and investigators haven't officially linked Little to her murder. But Little did tell investigators that he killed the woman who's presumably Priscilla, after meeting her in Memphis by strangling her and then dumping her body in the Mississippi River.
1: Investigators found that Samuel Little had no problem being called a serial killer, but he became agitated and offended if he was called a serial rapist. So I think to me, more that raises some questions. Did Little leave out things about his confessions that he didn't want investigators to know, like the use of weapons in some cases? Why wouldn't he be completely honest about the method of killing, the types of sexual assaults? I mean, at that point, he really had nothing to lose. You could make the argument that, as we've said, he couldn't remember all the details. So maybe something like, A stabbing would be such a small detail in his mind that he forgot. But then with other things like names, jewelry, clothing, family members, locations, sometimes he could remember, but often it was his timelines that were very jumbled. Now I could kind of see where that could happen. This guy was all over the country. It seemed like. It is possible that Priscilla Baxter Jones was not one of Little's victims, but I think this is the question that a lot of people ask about the case of Samuel Little. You know, is this person connected? Is this victim connected? There's a lot in his past. There's just so many victims known and then so many others with a tenuous connection.
0: Zena Marie Jones disappeared on New Year's Day in 1989, and she's still never been found. She was also engaged in sex work, like many of Samuel Little's victims, and had substance abuse issues. The last time she talked to her sister, she mentioned she was going to hitchhike to Chicago. Her sister and her niece are both convinced that Little sketched Zena and may have held the key to finding her body.
1: 46-year-old Nancy Carol Stevens is Little's last known victim. They met each other at a Walmart in Tupelo, Mississippi. On August 5th, 2005, she was found dead on the side of the road. She was identified through fingerprints as Nancy Stevens from Decatur, Alabama. In 2018, Little confessed to strangling her in his RV in the Walmart parking lot. Around the time of her murder, Little was arrested for theft and spent a month in jail in Tupelo but he was never connected to Nancy's death. Nancy was another woman that Little told investigators he really liked. And I think this is something else, Morph, that is strange to me about the, the Little case. A number of his victims, he expressed affection for two authorities. I, I think that's something a little different than what we're used to hearing from serial killers and so you can ask the question, all right, if you like these women so much, what caused you to kill them?
0: He likes them, but he lacks the empathy to, to not harm them. It's very mind-boggling. Or he liked them, but they did something to
1: trigger him, and he ended up killing them.
0: On the surface, you may think Little was a sex star loner, and that partly fueled his sexually motivated murders. But Little wasn't alone all those years. His longtime girlfriend, Aurelia Jean Dorsey, is now deceased. She was in a relationship with Little during many, but not all, of his murders. Jean was skilled at shoplifting and used her ability to support herself and Little for many years while they traveled around the country. Her death from a brain hemorrhage in 1988 led to many of Little's arrests for things like petty theft and shoplifting. She taught him how to steal, but he was never as good and would often get caught. Little's confessions indicate that Gene wasn't involved in any of his murders and was asleep during the time he committed most of them.
1: In 1971, Little and his then girlfriend, Lucy Madero, were arrested for robbing a gas station in Cleveland. Lucy planned to testify against Little and told her cellmate, Gene Dorsey, about her plans. Somehow, due to holes in the ceiling and walls of the aging jail, Gene was able to inform Little of Lucy's plans, although they had never met. His lawyers were then able to prepare for Lucy's testimony during the 1972 trial, and Little was acquitted of the robbery. Once Gene was released from prison, she and Samuel Little were together until her death. He admired her loyalty, even though she was 30 years older than him, and He said he didn't find her particularly attractive.
0: News of Samuel Little's confession shocked the nation as more and more details of his brutal murders came to light. Little died just before 5 a.m. on December 30th, 2020 at a hospital in the Los Angeles area. He was 80 years old. His cause of death is currently still undetermined, but Little was in poor health while in prison and likely died of natural causes. At some point, he had to have a toe amputated, and wore special orthopedic shoes afterward. He used a wheelchair, was a diabetic, and had heart problems, with at least one heart surgery in his past. In 2017, long before his death, investigators already believed they were running out of time to solve cases he was connected to because of his age and health condition. Some serial
1: killers, like the Golden State Killer, had special knowledge of law enforcement procedures that helped them get away with their crimes. For... Many, many years, definitely long enough to become serial killers. Others like Ted Bundy used their charm to stay under the radar. Samuel Little preyed on vulnerable victims, many of whom were women that many people didn't notice or pay attention to due to their lifestyles. Some of them had really no family that were looking for them. We discussed 29 murdered women and five women who survived attacks by little he's confessed to many more murders and who knows how many other women may have escaped him. But to me more, as we wrap up this case on Samuel little, you know, unlike the golden state killer, unlike some of these other serial killers, I don't know that Samuel little was so skilled as a, as a criminal, as a, as a murderer, that he was able to get away with you know, all of these things, we talked about it. The guy was caught so many times. And if he would have served the time that I think everyone listening believes that he should have served for some of these very heinous crimes, then likely he's not out to roam the country looking for victims. That's one thing about this case that I really struggle with you know, these light slaps on the wrist for what are really unspeakable crimes. He's out in a year or two on to find his next victim, but he's not alone in that. I mean, you know, a lot of the serial killers that we've covered from the seventies and eighties often had the same experience. I mean, it's not like they were so smart that they were never caught for anything. They were caught. They just did such little time that it was not a deterrent for them to get out and go on to commit more crimes.
0: I go back to the fact that after he was released from jail for these various crimes, that there wasn't an effort to keep better track of him and keep him from going from state to state. And maybe a listener up there can let us know for sure, but I've always thought that when you get out of prison that you're not allowed to cross state lines, um, but he apparently had no problem doing that because he was all over the country.
1: Well, I don't think you were supposed to even back then. But, you know, like I said before, if you've got a parole officer and the parole officer can't find you back in the '70s or '80s, what were they going to do? You know, the connection across the country wasn't like it is today. You know, I just don't know that they were going to put in the effort or really had the opportunity or the technological advances to track down a guy like Samuel Little, especially a guy who was using a number of aliases.
0: I think the sad part is there could be a lot more victims out there of his and unless DNA or something solid like that comes to light, they might not ever be linked to Samuel Little and they might remain unsolved.
1: Yeah. I think that's the, the big overriding question in this case. What's the true extent of Little's crimes? You know, as we were talking about individual crimes, we said he was indicted in a number of jurisdictions But obviously, we know he died in in 2020. So what do they do? They can't try him now, obviously. Do they consider some of these unsolved cases solved and close the case because they believe that the evidence points to the fact that Little committed the crimes? I think there might be some of those, but I think there's going to be a large number more If like you said, where... It's just going to remain outstanding, but with authorities thinking more likely than not that little was involved. So my feeling is there will always be some unanswered questions in the case of Samuel little, but what is not in doubt in my mind is that this guy was a predator of the highest order. I think that much is true. Thanks
0: goes out to Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode.
1: As always, if you love the show but haven't done so yet, take a minute. Go out, give us a five-star rating. You can leave a review if you like. Also, keep telling your friends about the Criminology Podcast. That word of mouth goes a long way.
0: If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter with the handle at CriminologyPod. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Criminology Podcast or by joining our Facebook discussion group, which is called Criminology Podcast Discussion and Fans.
1: So Morf, that's it for another episode of Criminology, but we'll be back with everyone next Saturday night with a brand new episode. So until then, for Mike and Morph. we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.